0: Attention all mortals, veterans and civilians alike, it's time to buckle up and get ready for a wild ride, because you've just tuned in to the Swan Dingo Files. Your host, Steven Swanson, is here to help you navigate the crazy world of transitioning from military life to civilian life, and let me tell you, it's a bumpy road, but with a little bit of humor and a lot of determination, we can make it through together.
1: And welcome to another episode of the Swan Dingo Files. Today I have Sean Sean Young with me, a fellow army veteran, thankfully. Oh, thank God. Finally army. <laughs> so he's here to discuss his uh, transition, his military service, uh, addiction, recovery, trauma, and everything that he's gone through himself and how he has improved his life and given some life lessons. So how's it going, Sean?
0: Ah, it's not going bad. It's not going bad, brother. How are you?
1: Uh, it's been a long week. Not going to lie. I'm, I'm ready to take like a, 24 hour nap right now. Okay, it's, just... been a, it's been a long two weeks for me. I've been recording five
0: months worth of content.
1: Oh Jesus. Yeah. 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 So definitely busy. And yeah. the most I've ever done is five in one day. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm just like kill me now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Moderation has never been my thing. And so like now I'm, I have to learn to moderate everything and not, not go balls to the wall every single day, you know?
1: Well, good luck with that one. Especially being a, a fister in the army. Yeah. No, yeah. ain't going to happen. So, nope. uh, we're going to discuss, you know, why you join your time in, uh, your transition out, uh, and then the other three things I discussed before. So if you want to lead it off, uh, just go ahead and why did you join the U.S. Army?
0: Oh man. Uh, well, because none of the other offices were open. No, i just, just joking. That, that,
1: that would be, I, I've actually heard that one before. I've heard that one.
0: Well, so we'll go push it back a little bit further. Uh, 9/11. Um, 9/11. I was I was in seventh grade and uh, saw the saw everything unfold. And when I got home, because my dad didn't take me out of school, he took my brother out, but he didn't take me out. Um, and he was like, you know, uh, this is what what shit looks like. This is how bad it's gotten. And uh, at that moment, I made a decision that I was going to join any branch of the military. I didn't know. I was never raised with guns. I was never raised, hoorah, you know. Uh, but I knew I wanted to join. I knew I wanted to serve. Um, got about 16 years old, 17 years old, where the critical time would be to, to join. Um, and uh, I made a decision, went to the recruiting station. Literally, I had zero idea of what I wanted to do. And uh, I went to the Navy's office, and, and the recruiter for the Navy was like, we're going to see if you're smart enough to join the Navy. And I said, fuck you. And I, I turned the corner, and the Army was right there. And the Army said, what do you want to do with your life? And I said, this is where I want to be. So um, signed a contract that day, uh, or, or at least, you know, a commitment, and then went to Memphis. And test it out, uh, I wasn't, I didn't pay attention very well. Scored super low. You don't have to be smart to be a fister.
1: So. <laughs> that's a, that's uh kind of scary considering what, what, uh, what a forward observer actually does. You would want some kind of smart cats and they're doing a the job.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so, I, I'm, I'm not stupid by any means, but I just wasn't paying attention to anything. I was just clicking random ass buttons. And so. <laughs> Uh I scored pretty low and then ended up uh ended up signing a contract the end of the day. My last name is young meps goes by la by first last name, and so I was like last in line signed a goddamn contract went to basic uh on my birthday first day of basic was my birthday july eleventh two thousand yeah that's a
1: uh, happy birthday
0: yeah yeah, yeah happy birthday my eighteenth birthday I was getting my shit kicked in not really but um mm. Yeah, I went to I went to basic and AIT. I went to Basic at Fort Sill, AIT at Fort Sill and then uh got proposed with a contract to go airborne and I was like, you know, fuck it. I'm terrified of Let's do something that, that scares the shit out of me. So I went I went to Benning to uh jump out of airplanes. Um uh, I learned that. Uh, my first jump out of the airplane, I screamed the whole way down, I screamed by the whole way down and jump master, you know, next time. Was like, black hat, he was like, now who screamed fuck the whole way down? I was like, that was me. He was like, don't do that again. And so, like, internally I'm screaming fuck, 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 fuck the whole way down the next time. But, uh, yeah, and I, I got assigned to um, 173rd Airborne uh, out of Vicenza, Italy. Got there. Spent about four and a half years there. Deployed twice with Battle Company. If you've seen Battle Company 2nd, bat, um, Bible 3rd. If you've seen Cornwall or Restrepo, that was mm-hmm. in those documentaries. Um, and um, then got orders to go to Fort Bragg. I called uh, HR and I said, hey, or HRC. I said, hey, anywhere but Bragg. And they were like, gotcha, Bragg. So I went to Bragg. <laughs> I got assigned to uh, Fort 73rd and 4th Brigade, uh, which is a cab unit. And I served under them for about two years and then went to 1st Brigade uh, and served under uh 3rd, and 3rd and 19th. And, uh, field artillery unit. And that's when they pulled all the Fisters back up to Devardi, served under them for my last deployment and then, um, got orders to, uh, Fort Richardson, uh, to work with, uh, 425. When I got there, uh, they're slated to go on there uh, on a deployment. And so I went to do the ANM test, the pre-deployment memory test, and I bombed it. I had severe TBI, and uh, so I started doing the pipeline. Started um, trying to get better, but I just wasn't progressing fast enough for the army, and so they uh, medically retired me. Yeah,
1: the transition was rough. So, when you started transition, how, how how long of a time period did you have for transitioning?
0: Um, so, they started about six months, right? I was working with Peblo, where essentially the if you don't know what peblo is, uh, it's somebody that's essentially uh, the liaison between the army or the military and uh, and the VA to help facilitate everything. Um, in between the time of my my first initial peblo and the moment that I got out of the army, uh, I had a suicide attempt, so that stopped everything that I was doing completely stopped everything I was doing. I was in a shitty time in my life. And so uh, I had to pick it back up. And I picked it back up and uh, moved on. Uh, it was, I know a lot of people have gotten to points with the VA where they've been 18 months without without their uh, their benefits. And I went three months. Uh, I ended up getting evicted out of my home, pretty much almost went homeless. I had to scrounge around to figure out, like, Cause, you know, I don't know how the transition was for you, but for me, when I got out, like I didn't have a job. Everything that I had planned fell as shit. And, um, so I was throwing applications in on, on, uh, on Indeed and just nothing was hitting, man. And I finally got a job, but it was after I'd already gotten out. house. And I moved back on base. I didn't want to live back on base. I didn't want to be anywhere near the army, but I was stuck right there. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I ended up. In a job um, working at an air cargo company for in uh, customer service, man. And I, this when I learned well. I thought I hated people. Don't really hate people, but that's when I thought I hated people.
1: No, that's uh. <clears throat> the funny is that's not a whole lot different than mine. I got. I mean, my transition was a little bit smoother. I, I had at that time three kids, one on the way. Um, I, I have six now. Unfortunately. No, I'm just kidding. Fortunately. <laughs> um but I didn't have that luxury of and I know everybody's a little different on the transition, I know that luxury be like, um I can take a little bit of time off. Like everybody's telling me, like, Hey, take a couple weeks off, you know, decompress, all this stuff. I was like I don't have that time. I gotta get out and I gotta get a job immediately. I walked out of the military no not walked out, I retired out June seventh, twenty seventeen, retired out. June 11th, 2017, I walked out of the military, or I walked out of the DMV with a CDL. Yeah. No, no idea how to drive a semi, and the state of Illinois gave me a CDL. It's like oh. you're fucking stupid. But <laughs> yes, <clears throat> me getting out, I was an E7, so it really my transition out and with dealing to pebblos and everything like that, because I did get medically retired, so I had everything lined up before I was out. Wasn't too bad, but I've heard some the lower ranking people. Uh, like E6 and below, sometimes they get treated a little bit worse. And it's like, I don't know. I didn't see it. So I don't know for sure. I don't know, but I've heard some horror stories of, you know, it, you know, they think you're faking it, all this other stuff. And I mean, I literally walked out, you know, owing the military should have owed the military thousands of dollars worth of military equipment. Cause I never turned anything in mm-hmm. and CAF just wrote it off. Like it was nice. nothing as yeah, an nice. E7.
0: That's how it was for me. I was a staff sergeant when I got out and like I went to uh I went to turn my T A fifty in and the dude at CIF looks at me and like I have a laundry list of things that I'm missing. And he's like, Where were you stationed? How many times did you deploy? And I told him. He's like, What was the accumulated time? And I told him and he was like, You're cleared. And I was like, Shit. All right.
1: Yeah, that, yeah, that guy was pretty, actually pretty cool. He's a retired E7 also and had, uh, Fort Polk's, yeah, Fort Polk was my last duty station, um, with, uh, it was 10th Mountain. Then they got switched over to Texas National Guard for, I forgot what, I forgot what reason that was for. We weren't the actual National Guard. We were still active duty, but it was the weirdest situation ever. They are trying to hide active duty soldiers in the National Guard. They stopped them from getting, um, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, Downsizing of the military. See. So they were hiding active duty soldiers in the National Guard. Like, cause the right. four, what was it third brigade 10 found? Mm-hmm. You gotta switch over to Texas National Guard. And we were so active, but they couldn't no longer downsize that brigade because they needed them so bad. Cause yeah. everything that was going on under, and under that certain person that was in office at that time. Yeah. So they needed every soldier. But, I mean, that's, that's so. Awesome. So, uh, it seemed like you had a pretty rough time doing the transition. At what point did you start finally figuring things out and start turning the wheels to get your life back on track?
0: Oh man, uh, my life like spiraled out of control even after I got out of the army. Um, you know, uh, it, it continued to spiral once, uh, when I got my job, like I got my job and I felt a sense of purpose, right? Uh, but then I started drinking again. Like there's been bouts in my, in my career where like, I stopped drinking because of other people. You know, people said that they would leave me or I'd get in trouble, uh, here and there. And, uh, I never learned because I was doing it for other people. So, uh, December 7th, 2019, is the last time I drank and, the uh, last time I put any substance in my body, uh, that is my altering aside from tobacco. It's another story.
1: Well, I'm glad you, uh, at least quit drinking. I'm still trying, I'm still on that path right now. I just quit smoking, started taking care of myself a little bit better. So, uh, what kind of, are you still, are you actually seeking therapy or are you trying non traditional stuff to kind of get over all that?
0: So, so I, I do, I do therapy. Um, I do, I do counseling every week. Um, and also what got me in, like, got me somewhere is I ended up in jail, man. I, I caught an assault charge. Um, I I was in a very bad place in my life. Um, caught in a self-charge, and, like, I was sitting in jail, dude, and, like, I was just blaming everybody for my problems, man. And, and like, I was talking to one of my cellmates about it, and he looked at me, he's like, dude, you created all the problems in your life. In, all, at, in your adult life. He's like, when, when you realize that, you'll be better. And I was at first, I was like, yeah, fuck you. You don't know who I am. Right? Um, but then I, I really thought on it, and and I said, yeah, you're absolutely correct. I, I created all these problems. So I ended up uh, getting released that day. Crazy as shit. When uh, when I accepted that I created all these problems, my bail got posted. I got released. And that's when I started my recovery. And uh, so, yeah, I, in a way, it's a forced recovery, but I did it willingly. I went into the program. I signed you know, everything. And... Um, so uh, I did a nine month program through the, the therapeutic course, which there's a veterans court. Um, so it specializes in veteran treatment. We work, they work hand in hand with the VA and, uh, it, it, it was a super beneficial, um, part of my, of my, my journey. And then, uh, yeah, so I mean, even three years later, dude, I'm still going, I'm still going to counseling because life happens. You know, I'm sober and I've been sober. I, I help other people. So I help. You know, veterans that are in the therapeutic courts in Alaska and in Baltimore, because I, I moved out of Alaska. And, uh, it, it's super beneficial, man. I get to a point where sometimes I'm like, fuck, I don't go because of time difference, right? Like, I'm, it's 11 o'clock here on the East Coast. It's seven o'clock in Alaska. They're getting out of their classes and I'm like, shit, I just want to go to bed, right? And I go to these meetings 11 o'clock at night and I hear something I need to hear, or somebody gives me a reason to laugh and, and it's just, it's something that I need, you know, and, and so I really thoroughly enjoy it. I also do a lot of self care, ton of self care. And, and my podcasting is another, is another part of my, my, my program, right? Cause there's people, I just interviewed a guy who was like 35 years sober and, and he's a veteran too. Um, and you know, his story was amazing. And I hear so many amazing people sharing their stories of, of recovery not just from addiction, but mental health disorders, trauma, all that shit. And, uh, and it keeps me going because if I don't, if 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 I just lull on it and I don't do anything and I don't have a purpose, I run the risk of uh, doing dumb shit. Devils, you know, I don't hands do the devil's work.
1: That is the exact same reason why I started doing this podcast, honestly, because speaking to veterans, first responders, and then, I like talking to also, you know, coaches and stuff like that, but it's just their perspectives on life and their different views and all of our different paths and where we're at now. It's just how they overcame all the, you know, their problems and everything and how they came out on top. It gives hope to not just me but other veterans too and knowing that you may be going through a rough time right now or you may be scared to transition out. But there's so many people out there that are here for you to give you a helping hand. They're not going to do it for you. You got to want it. But, I mean, there, it's just, it's a crazy community. Because like you said earlier, when you get out, you don't want to talk to people. I don't want to talk to people. That's why I started driving trucks. like, leave me the fuck alone. I'm yeah. taking care of my family leave me the fuck alone. Yeah. And here I am now podcast, talking to people in other countries, stuff like that, and it's just like the fuck happened?
0: Right, right. I used to I, I would get to these points, man, where like when I was working customer service where I would do everything in my power to scare the dog shit out of people so they wouldn't interrupt me. Right. Not even like I have a I had a I had a pretty decent sized beard then. It was like maybe right here. Uh, but I would walk in my manager's office when there was just all the dudes and I would look at her and I'd say, "Hey, Angie, what you know? What's the fastest man to a waste heart?" She's like, "I, I don't know." when I said, "An axe. And she got my humor. She understood my dark humor. They didn't, because they weren't around me on a daily basis. So I would go out of my way to scare the shit out of people so that they wouldn't talk to me, and so I had no reason to interact with
1: them, which is not beneficial whatsoever. No, and I, I love the military humor. I mean, I get it, but try and come out with that on the outside world. It's, uh, yeah, you got, you got to definitely start looking at changing it fairly kind of quick. Cause a lot of people, unless you are around a base, which most aren't, they're not going to get it. So even, even your own family and it's kind of frustrating a little bit. So there's some jokes I'd like to tell, but it might be, uh, yeah, might not be the best
0: place. Slightly inappropriate.
1: Yeah. But so I know you work, you said you're working with veterans. What all do you, are you helping them with? Like, I know it's for your own mental health, but what all do you do for them too? So um I hold a process group. So
0: when I, when I graduated October, 2020 uh from my program, uh there's, there's an alumni program that participants of the therapeutic courts statewide, not just in Anchorage, but statewide are afforded the opportunity to go to. Um, now it's mandated that they go to them. But uh, at the time, it was just voluntary. You had to either go to four AA meetings or two AA meetings and two alumni meetings. And so when I got out, I hadn't attended alumni at all. I got out, and a few of the active participants were like, hey, look, we cannot relate with civilians. Like, It's hard enough for us to to go through this with a civilian judge, but now we have to relate to these civilians that are in our situation. Can you talk to them about potentially starting up a meeting? So I joined the alumni program and I started talking to, um, you know, Ron Wilson, which is, he's one of the co-founders of, of the alumni program. And I just, I, I said, hey, man, look, I just want to get back in any way that I can. And he's, he's like, we've well, been looking for a veteran to start this group. And I was like, well, fuck, here I am. So, uh, I started up the first group and, and they kept, they kept pushing, you know, if you don't get the numbers, if you don't get the numbers, nobody, you know, we can't keep doing this. Dude, the first goddamn meeting was 20 people in that group. And then every week after for three years, it's been sequentially 20 people in every group. So it got to a point where we were running over time by half an hour, 40, you know, 45 minutes. So those groups run an hour. And so I was, I proposed the idea, hey, start Saturday group. I'll run that one too. And so we started Saturday group and, um, because of COVID and like, and, and like the restrictions are being lifted now, they turned the Saturday group in person. I can't be in person in Alaska. You know what I mean? So, um, somebody took over for me, an Air Force veteran, which is awesome. Um, so I still run the Saturday group. Um, but in Baltimore, um, I, I, show up to, to the courts and I'm starting to, I'm trying to get their alumni program started. Now starting an alumni program, there's a lot that goes into it. It's not just, Hey, we're a group of dudes that, that want to talk. There has to be, you know, if you want to make it a, like an organization, then it, there's a bunch of funding that goes into it. You got to get, you know, uh, financial plans set up. You got to get, a uh, 5013C set up. Like dude, it's just crazy
1: so this is actual – it's supposed to be like a non-profit or something or i mean
0: yeah so so it it uh, the alumni program itself is a non-profit um but they need a parent company so like that's where the finances come in so you need a parent company that works in reentry from from the the uh from from the the system the jail system so, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's just a whole crazy thing.
1: Sounds like, it sounds like a, kind of a bit of a headache, but at least, at least somebody's trying to do it and trying to get out there and help. And it's not just for veterans, right? It's for anybody or is it?
0: No, it's for, so it's for anybody. So in Alaska and, and even country, like the countrywide, there's 4,000 therapeutic courts countrywide. People don't even know about. And what is it called? The, the therapeutic court. So it's it's either like a drug court, mental health court, we call them therapeutic courts in Alaska, oh. but, um, there's 4,000 countrywide. There's a whole nonprofit that's dedicated to, to the treatment of, of people that are in, in those. And, uh, I've gotten, i got, I went to the, uh, conference last year. It was amazing. It was in Nashville, first time in Nashville. I loved it. But, uh, yeah, it's for anybody, like honestly. Um, but the groups that, that we hold are specific. So we have. Um, groups for DUI courts, groups for drug courts, groups for women, uh, veterans, uh, ran groups. And so, yeah, I mean,
1: it's crazy. And this is all voluntary or is it court yep. or it's all voluntary?
0: Yep. Yeah. Okay. And how long, uh,
1: how long do they usually last? Like each, uh, uh, like how long does the program last?
0: Oh, so, uh, in Alaska, it's mandated that, uh, Anything outside of a DUI is nine months. Uh, anything like a DUI, like a misdemeanor DUI or felony DUI is an 18 month program. Some, some go, like, uh, in Baltimore, their program is a year and then felony DUI, I think is two years.
1: Why haven't, why has nobody really heard of this?
0: Uh, because nobody's pushing it. We're trying, like, you know, the, uh, so the, the big organization that, that oversees all this is called NADCP, the National Association of Drug Court Professions. And it's, it's judges, lawyers, POs, alumni, uh, all from the therapeutic courts, all drug courts, mental health courts that come together and they try and build, uh, better programs, right? So they, they hold classes for a week, um, there's another organization specific for veterans. It's called Justice for Veterans, and um, they they set out to build a mentor program to help you know uh, veterans uh, along during the process. Normalize, you know, because you you go from one institution of the military to another institution of jail out in society, right? And and the biggest problem that they're seeing is recidivism, which is like you know reoffending. So, like, what happens is you go from one institution to another, and then you're released with zero kind of, of recovery skills, zero kind of um, sober skills. You have the want to be sober, you just don't, know, you don't have the resources. So the therapeutic courts, mental health courts, drug courts are put in place to be that gateway in between the institution and civilized world.
1: Yeah, uh, definitely to get word out about that because you just made a very valid point. Going from you become institutionalized, especially, you know, you were in 12 years. I was in 14, and you got people that are in 20, 25, 30 years. You become very institutionalized. I think it's even after, I think it's like five or six years, you start becoming institutionalized. And then you come out, the transition program they have, uh, uh ACAP or whatever it's called now, I don't even know if it's called the same thing, to me is junk. It gives false hope to anybody, and it doesn't matter what branch. It gives false hope to people that, hey, when I get out, I'm going to get this awesome 80,000-plus 80, 80, six-figure job. And it's like, no, you're not. Yeah. So they hit streets. I mean, crappy jobs a lot of times are going to school. And in the United States, we have the highest dropout rate out of, out of any country that's evaluated for a four-year program and in college. Uh, yeah, we suck at going to college. Which, not necessary, but I mean, we have they definitely need to get their shit together when it comes to transitioning out and stop filling these I say kids, I mean, I'm only 38, but being an E7 in the Army, technically everybody's a kid, I guess. You're considered an old person now. Um, But they really need to get their shit together and stop filling these kids' heads with false hope that hey, you're going to get out with a great job and no issues. There needs to be they need to revamp everything. The homelessness of the veterans the suicide is just its fucking ridiculous.
0: I've I've been a huge uh, advocate for that, too. I I think that there needs to be a program set in place because ADAP, ACAP, whatever they call it, um, they teach you how to write resumes, they teach you how to interview, and how to look good, right? But they don't teach you about the vital skills that you need when you get out. They don't teach you, hey, you're an adult now. You've got you got to fucking you, – you drive responsibly, right? You've but, got to – here's it. This is how you pay your bills.
1: But, see, that's the thing, though. They, everything they, – they think that you're an adult just because – and, you know, E6, E7, and above, yeah. But lieutenants still aren't technically adults. No. They're still fucking – you know, they get out after, what, the three- or four-year commitment after whatever, and they're still young, like yeah. captains, and you're in charge in a very structured environment. And now you're going out to a very unstructured environment with really nobody having your back, unless you stay working for the military, which even then is still kind of dicey. Yeah,
0: yeah, I I, I completely agree. You know, they they take children, make them into men and or or women, and then release them out into the wild. And it's like, well, you you've you've bred killers, straight up. You've you've bred Except killers. For the Air Force. Except for the Air Force, yeah. Uh, but but even then, like, you you taught them a very specific set of skills, and those specific set of skills are not being used or utilized out in the civilian world unless you work IT satellites. Unless you have a job in the military that you can transition out. Like, even infantry's having a hard time getting into like the police departments or like FBI, you know, SWAT, whatever. Like, there's there's... A really small, thin line of jobs that uh, that you could acquire outside the military.
1: Well, yeah, I was a I, I was a scout. You were a forward observer. Um, yeah. I mean, I can shoot guns all day long, but there's not much for reconnaissance out out here. For you, there's not much use for there's really no use for call for fire and indirect fire support anywhere out here. Unless the police unless we go to World War III and the police departments have to start calling indirect fire. I mean, there you go.
0: The, the only, the only certifications that I could use would be JFO. So I'm JFO qualified. Uh, I, I could go and work in a tower directing aircraft, but the suicide rate there is insane. Right. And then you got to go years and years of schooling just to get in a position. You got to know people. And then, you know, equal opportunity because that's the EO rep. That's about it.
1: No, no. I think they need to put emphasis on it. maybe cut off at a certain rank because, you know, you do get, you know, E7s and above and sometimes E6s. You know, you get certain schools like instructor, certain schools that can benefit to the outside. But they need to put an emphasis maybe on just throwing these kids into trade schools, like which one do you want, take that GI Bill and go there. You don't have a choice anymore. Instead of just like, hey, good luck at college or good luck at this – McDonald's, good luck. No. I think they need to throw because there's a big gap in trades. Oh yeah, right now. And who better to fill that gap? than all these veteran, all these veterans coming out that already have the discipline, which is lacking in America. Already want to, you know, go get them hard chargers, lacking in America right now. Um, aren't worried about getting their fucking knuckles dirty, lacking in America. You know all that stuff right there. Put them in a goddamn trade school or an apprenticeship program right away. Don't even give them a choice anymore. Yeah, it's supposed to be freedom in America, but you want to drop suicide rate in America. You want to drop for the veterans. You want to get rid of the alcoholness, the drugs in the veteran community. Stop giving these kids a choice when they get out because you went from parents to, hey, your E7 is still your dad and in a platoon. I mean, that's how I always saw my U7s. That's how my soldiers saw me as an U7. I was I was a father for that platoon. So you still have somebody watching over you. Didn't go from nothing after that. You can't do that.
0: You know what the biggest reason why people get out and use, and this is something that I've heard across the board. You want you want to know the biggest reason that people get out and use? Hmm. There is a lack of purpose. They don't have. They feel like they get out and they have an identity crisis, right? Because they. They don't know who they are. And so, like, you know, if we throw them in a trade school, maybe put them where they're six months out from ETS or from retirement. Throw them in a trade school. They're not on the books anymore. They shouldn't be doing fucking training anymore because they don't add any combat value into your unit because they're leaving. Put them in a trade school. Set them up for success for when they get out. You know, and, but but units aren't ready to do that. You know, leadership isn't ready to do that because every man's got to fill a hole. Well what good is that hole going to be when, when when that dude's gone, that E7's
1: gone? Well, uh, so what's next for Sean Young? What are you doing oh, next?
0: Oh, man, I'm still doing this podcast. Bro. Um, so I started my podcast last year. Um, essentially, I just – one of my buddies, one of my – he jumped on TikTok, and I was on TikTok live, and he was like, dude, you got a glorious beard. And I was like, well, thanks, man. He was like, you want to be a brand ambassador? And I was like, fuck, yeah. So, like, we became really good friends. And he was like, Oh, I'm a podcaster. You invited me on a show talking about spirituality and like paranormal stuff. And I'm, I'm all about that. Mm-hmm. And so like afterwards he was like, Hey, uh, you, sh- you have a voice for podcasting. You should just fucking do it. And I was like, Well, I just, I don't, I was making excuses as to why I couldn't do it. And he's like, go get a microphone, go get headphones. Here's the program I use. And he coached me, mentored me and trained me, which is something that we're lacking in America he coached mentor and trained me how to be a podcaster and how to be effective and like how to get my message across. And like, I just, you know, I started and I, I haven't stopped since. I mean, there's been periods where I'm like, I'm do it, but I keep doing it. Right. And, and as long as I'm, I'm still doing it, uh, I'm still doing it. Uh, I got two more projects coming up um, that I'm working on. I just ended one. Um, so my next one of my next is going to be about, about, uh, belief structures, what people believe and why they believe it. So I got pastors lined up. I got Satanists lined up. I got Norse Pagan people lined up. I'm Norse Pagan myself. I want to get people on to share educationally based, not bashing other people, but educational based um, content, right? Because there's a huge lack of educational based content in the world. So I want to do that. And I, you know, I think it's pretty cool. And my second one, and it kind of falls along the lines of the Swandigo files, uh, mine's going to be called the Veteran Nutbucket Society. And we're going to be talking about crazy, crazy stories. And when you're in the military, you know, some of the fucked up things, because, I mean, society looks at us as heroes sometimes. And I want to show them a different side. Like, you know, we, we got drunk, took somebody's smart car and shit on it. Crazy stuff like that, right? Uh, and then, like, kind of what you do with the transition and what their life's like now. Uh, and, and, you know, um, yeah, dude, life, life is crazy. Life is crazy right now.
1: That's funny, cause, uh, I you mentioned that. I remember being in the barracks, cause back in, you know, the early 2000s, uh. Back in Nam you, Huh? Back in Nam Okay, not that old. <laughs> you, you, I ain't that much older than you. Come on now. <laughs> But, uh, no, back in back early 2000s, not 60s <laughs> and 70s, um, you know, we saw the community barracks. Well, everything you did at, did together as a platoon was always right there in that barracks. We did drunk bowling um, with our bodies, um, set off the uh, fire extinguishers down the hall, uh, do all this crazy stuff, group drinking, bring kegs up there. We had to get permission from our Sergeant Major to do it, but he always said yes to the scouts. Like, whatever. He was an old scout himself. Sergeant Major, Command Sergeant Major Popper. One of the best Sergeant Major I ever had. Um, you know, just everything you did together. And that's, and I think that's where, you know, I, and I know you probably saw the barracks, I'm sure, how they're all kind of starting to single them out. Uh, like, kind of like the Air Force has been doing for a long time while they're doing it in the Army. And I hate that. Yeah. It's stupid because there's no camaraderie anymore. They go to their rooms. You might have a split room and share a kitchenette area. That's so stupid. You're fucking private. You need a camaraderie. You need that brotherhood. How better to get that brotherhood than you shit, sleep, piss together, you shower, if everything you do, you have like somewhat might have a room with one person. When you go shower, hey, you might walk in on somebody right there with his fucking dick hanging. Yeah. Um, might be in there taking a shit. Hey, guess what? He's not feeling good now. You know, hey, he's not going to be a great. He's not going to be there at work today because I can hear him blowing his guts out and fucking. He's not, you know, you just get to know a person better that way. I went oh <laughs> five, oh six. I taped a chem light to my fucking dick and went running <laughs> through the tents in Iraq and, uh, uh, Mamoudia. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. That's on the show now. Just let you know. Everybody know that's so there. There's a
0: picture of me floating around on my Facebook. I think I might have kept it up. But it was on my second deployment, and I thought it was funny because we all went out and bought different things. Like one of my buddies, Flansburg, he bought a burka and put it on. And so, like, we have a picture of him in a burka. And then, like, I've got a bunch of these head wraps. i like, got one around my head covering my face and then mm-hmm. one covering my junk. And I'm, like, wearing nothing. So I like, run into my platoon starts, you know, his his little room thing. And he's like, Young, what the fuck are you doing? And I was like, Aloha snack bar? And he was like, "Fucking push, dude! Smoke the dog shit out of me while I was in all that, dude!" So like,
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of my scariest times, and this was not like, like, not, well, I I wouldn't say scariest, but one of the times I I thought I was gonna die by an Apache helicopter. We so were on a sniper op on top of this house, and out not out in the middle of nowhere, but kind of on the edge of a village, and I'm up on top of the roof all. All of our, you know, weapon systems are on top of the house. Everybody's downstairs sleeping. I mean, you've got one guy on top of the roof. You're just doing rotations. And we're wearing a man dress and a fucking uh, a towel on our head. Yeah. I see this Apache coming, and it's like, I'm just going to hunker down here. He ain't going to see me. Oh, he fucking saw me. Oh. He starts circling around, and it's like, fuck, man. I'm sitting there looking at him. I fucking took that shit off, fucking put my top back on, fucking <laughs> like, I, I couldn't see him, I see the two people inside, but he eventually did a few more circles and then flew off, it's like, oh, my man, I man, I thought I was, I, I didn't know if he was going to fucking light me up, because I had all the rifles, they're all American rifles, of course, right. but, you know, they're all up there, and it's like, you know, he's, he's thinking in his head, like, what the fuck is this shit, well, with I'm their, sitting, with, like, with, with their, they're blowing their- me up, dude, Dude, with their pods and their flares, they wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Mm-mm. No, no. That's what kind of scares me a little bit, little bit. But so how can people get a hold of you? I I got, well, I got a link tree. Uh, but, any, but outside the link tree, man, you can go on uh,
0: Facebook, look under Sean Young. Uh, you can look under Sitting With Sean. Or you can go on uh, any of the platforms, Sitting With Sean, uh, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, Sitting With Sean podcast. I'm there. Uh, TikTok though, I am the beard of West Virginia. I was the beard of Alaska, then I moved and I'm the beard of West Virginia now.
1: Well, you do have a very nice beard. Unfortunately, being down here in Texas, I just had to get rid of mine. It was just, like, it it was a good beard, but it was just like so hot and sweaty down here. It's yeah. like I can't, like, this is too much for me even right now. And I've, I don't know how much you can see, the gray is really starting to come through a lot, and it's like fuck, I hate this.
0: I've, I've been asked how long I'm going to grow it. And the reason that I started growing my beard out and why it's so long is it's a, sy- uh, a symbol of my recovery. So as long as I have a beard, that means I'm sober. Right. And, and so like people are like, Oh, how long are you going to grow it? And I was like, uh, fucking till I
1: die. ZZ top that shit.
0: Yeah. I'm Gandalf, bro.
1: Ooh, nice one. I always wanted that one. I uh, can't remember his name now. The lead singer from Static X. Yeah, that longest Static- one bro. By- yeah. Well, yeah, well, speaking of that, he fucking just died not too long ago too, due yeah. to drugs. Yeah, I tried uh, to de- deny it.
0: Yeah. My, my, uh, my biological daughter, uh, calls me Gimli. From Lord of the Rings, the Delph, yep. the, the dwarf. Yep. Yeah, cause I'm, I'm short and I'm a Viking and I have a big ass beard.
1: Well, that's awesome. Well, that's all we have time today on the Swan Dingo Files with a dango, Bay Today, Today with Sean Young. He's uh yeah, he's gonna do some great things here coming up real soon. Just watch out for him, and make sure you're watching out for that beard. He's, he's gonna be tripping over that shit here in about five years and be dragging on the goddamn floor. Fucking easy t- top.
0: Well, folks, that's all we have for today's episode of the Swandingo Files. I hope you've enjoyed this journey with your host Steven Swanson as much as he enjoys recording it. Remember, transitioning from military life to civilian life is tough. But with a little bit of grit, a dash of humor, and a lot of determination, you can overcome any obstacle. So until next time, keep on trucking, and keep Swan going.